Hello, my name is Elizabeth Chodos, and I'm the director of the Miller Institute for Contemporary Art. Uh, welcome to the Miller ICA podcast. Today, I have two guests with me, John Rubin and Alicia Wormsley, who are uh, both artists and faculty here at Carnegie Mellon University. And they found themselves last spring uh, kind of embroiled in an art controversy here in Pittsburgh. And we're going to sort of talk about it. Hi, Alicia. Hi, John. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so, so maybe we can start um, a little bit by maybe just getting some background on the Billboard project as a sort of in general. Sure. Yeah. So I've run this project called The Last Billboard, which is in East Liberty, I guess collectively for maybe nine years. Um, and it started that long ago, maybe a little longer. I started renting storefronts as classrooms and throughout the city and landed in East Liberty next to what was then the Shadow Lounge and started a project called The Waffle Shop, which was a talk show inside a restaurant. The restaurant was used to coax people in. And then we asked them to be on this videoed talk show that we streamed over the internet. And from that, Don Molesky and I started Conflict Kitchen out of the same exact kitchen that cooked for the waffle shop and Conflict Kitchen. And then on top of that building that we were renting at the time, um, Lamar Advertising pulled their you know, conventional billboards from the space and just left the scaffolding, which had been up for decades. And I decided to create a kind of old-fashioned custom sign system. Initially, it was just the billboard would function almost like a speech bubble for things that were happening either at the Waffle Shop or Conflict Kitchen. And then after uh, several years when we ended the Waffle Shop and moved Conflict Kitchen to Shenley Plaza, I kept the billboard going and rebranded it as the last billboard, which basically just meant I bought a website, lastbillboard.com, <laughs> <laughs> a Tumblr site. And started inviting artists locally and from around the country, around the world, uh, to submit texts. We'd put them up. They'd last for roughly a month. It's really, like, clunky. It would take, like, six hours to take the text down and put it up. It's a very, like, physical act. And I really loved, you know, thinking of text as something physical and permanent and also poetic and open for interpretation. Because if you think about most of the text we experience in the public space, it's either directing you to something or selling you something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the space kind of ran that way for many years. Mm -hmm. And so Alicia, talk maybe <laughs> until, <laughs> until, dun, dun, dun. until Alicia <laughs> um, So maybe, um, maybe talk about how you got involved with the Billboard project and the text that you wrote for it and the background behind that text as well. So in 2011, 2012, I started a body of work called There Are Black People in the Future. And it was kind of like a commentary on the lack of um, brown presence in science fiction and futurist ideas and films and literature, et cetera. And in 2012, I had a residency through the Warhol Museum where I had a classroom at Westinghouse Academy, which is in Homewood, which is a neighborhood in Pittsburgh that I actually grew up in. When I was there, I was working with these uh, middle schoolers on creating sci-fi films because I was making a sci-fi film and talking to them about this idea of there are black people in the future and those things and we would walk around the neighborhood and they would say this area is perfect because it looks like the walking dead it's totally like an apocalypse <laughs> right and it's funny but it's like mm. real because it's like a neighborhood where people live and has yeah. been like institutionally neglected and 
because this is a neighborhood that has this legacy of African-Americans and like this really rich culture and then through the Reagan era had just been war on drugs, et cetera, et cetera, just been brought down to this level of survival. We're making these films there. And then what does that say about that? So having these conversations with these students who are like seventh, eighth graders and totally like, well, why does it look like this here and not in Squirrel Hill or not in this neighborhood? Why don't they tear these buildings down that are falling apart? And isn't that like what the government's for, what taxes are for, all mm. that? Exactly. You know, so I start thinking about this in a broader aspect and I start collecting objects in the neighborhood, thinking about like that Homewood is the home of the first black opera house, that it's the home of all of these like amazing people who've done amazing things in the world. You know, the arts high school started in Homewood, et cetera. So I'm collecting these objects and printing there are black people in the future on them, kind of creating this archive or like it's like half archive, half spell, right? Like making this happen. This is going to happen. If I write it down, it happens like there it is. So then I had, you know, this work and these objects and they were shown and things were written about them. I had an installation at the Homewood Coliseum where like the mayor had his inaugural party and he was stood right in front of like there are black people in the future in like a picture that was in the Post-Gazette. And like, you know, so it's like, you know, kind of funny. That was like in 2012. And then it'd been written about in like Afrofuturists books. Yutasha Womack has a book that... Uh, she talked about this work and other people, Kodwo Shun, several people who are writing about Afrofuturism, because that's also popping off 2012, mm-hmm. 2013 ish um, after Mark Derry coined that term. And so then I kind of like that body of work just kind of like was there. And I every once in a while I'd show something about it. You know, there were like I made short videos and installations, et cetera. And then, you know, six years later, John Rubin um, asked me, I guess he, you know, we we're just talking earlier. He talked about how he saw it on uh, Instagram. I posted the win- uh, one of the pieces that I- was a window frame that I had written there, Black People in the Future on. And he asked me if I wanted to put that text on the last billboard. And um, when he asked you, what was your what was your <laughs> thought process and did you have any reservations about yeah, that? Yeah, I did. I, you know, I told him I had to think about it for a minute and because I, I thought there would be a little, there would be some issue with the African-American community that still exists in East Liberty and also has been displaced in East Liberty because there's no context. It's just text that goes up and it's on this building that is like representative, one representation of displacement mm-hmm. and, you know, of, Uh, where the Shadow Lounge was, which was like this space. I mean, really, the Shadow Lounge is the reason why the gentrification, you know, like is what people were attracted to. Mm -hmm. Not that Shadow Lounge is in any way responsible, but that people were attracted to this neighborhood because it was being used by artists and creative people. And, you know, and so... And just as a little yeah. history of East Liberty, because I don't know if every, everyone's familiar with it. I wasn't when I you know, right. moved to the city. Well, maybe you two can talk about just like that trajectory and the timing of that in relationship to the billboard. Right. Well, when I was a kid, well, I can even go back farther when my mom, because my mom tells me the stories. When my mom was a kid, they would go, they would all get dressed up and like take two buses there that my mom grew up in Swickley to go shopping. That was where like people went shopping to get their nice clothes and like mm. all of that. 
And then when I was a kid, like 80s, 90s, it was where you got your tennis shoes, mixtapes, um, you know, all the things. It was like very um, kind of this area where like hip hop culture was existing and brewing. And when hip hop people had mixtapes that they made and sold mm-hmm. like on tables and mm-hmm. like all around and you get your hair cut. And then after a while, like businesses are shutting down, economy's changing you know, and then I graduated from high school in 96 and left for 15 years. So mm-hmm. I, John Rubin maybe could take <laughs> in that time period. Well, I, yeah, I wasn't there that whole time. But <laughs> I mean, I arrived in, in Pittsburgh in 2007. And at that point, most of the area, at least the neighborhood around where the Shadow Lounge was located and the corner that we were occupying was pretty much emptied out. Um, actually, the space on the corner that that we rented for Conflict Kitchen and the Waffle Shop had been empty for three years before we rented it. And uh, I don't know when the development plan where they built a circle road around East Liberty, which mm-hmm. sort of took all the stream of traffic away from the heart of the business district. I think mm-hmm. they had some notion it would be a walking district, and it was really a misbegotten plan. Look. But certainly when I arrived, it was it was fairly empty. There was definitely some businesses there, for sure, but, you know, a lot of folks didn't think of it as they did, you know, in its glory years when, mm-hmm. you know, they would say there's six theaters in East Liberty. I mean, it was, right. mm-hmm. you know, it was, you know, it was a cultural economic hub. And as I mentioned, you know, I was really attracted by the Shadow Lounge mm-hmm. because they were this kind of DIY, hip-hop, everything club that brought together because that's what hip hop does, people from all socioeconomic, racial backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, from 11 p.m. till three in the morning, mm-hmm. it was just mm-hmm. incredibly lively. And so I was knew that when I arrived there, that that was an energy that, you know, we could, you know, work with. Subsequently, you know, we moved out from the Conflict Kitchen and Waffle Shop in, I'd say, around 2010, 2011, 2012. And that's when a lot of all the new development came in, almost right. directly a year or two afterwards. Very quickly. And that was a, a period of time when people were getting displaced and yeah. um, there has been a lot of anger and frustration around how it sort of seems like it went through this period of businesses closing, things shutting down, being emptied out right. from and, like... And a, apartment a, buildings being torn down yeah. and the people who lived in them moved to other places. Yeah. So, like, yeah, so fit, at a like, pace that I think has never happened in Pittsburgh's history. I mean, people yeah. will talk about Lawrenceville's gentrification, but that's actually over, I mean, compared to New York, San Francisco standards, a relatively long period of time. Right. But East Liberty was like, so fast. So fast. I mean, really, I think like in two years, the neighborhood almost completely sh- shifted its demographics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and, and one of the challenges was to see really working class African-American neighborhood primarily, but see the the nature of the neighborhood just be forgotten, Mm -hmm. just be put aside Mm -hmm. entirely. Right. And now it's, there's a Whole Foods, there's the the Ace Ace Hotel, Hotel. there's, you know, sort of, I don't know what kind of brand name you would describe those 
those kinds of businesses as, but it doesn't necessarily reflect any type of character that had right. been Chain, part food of, places, yeah. chain diversity in food. <laughs> 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 it's like really interesting yeah. to me that yeah. they like yeah. have these food. like different various ethnic yeah. cuisines, but they're like chain restaurants. And they're like, they're like, <laughs> and, like what none. is that? A fast casual. Like, yeah. But, yeah. Fast casual. Fast casual. It's like, um, so you have this billboard that's been there for a long time. That's been this project that happens to be situated now in sort of a highly charged space. And so Alicia's work kind of lit a match in a lot of ways. And maybe you can talk about some of the response that you started. Sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, there wasn't too much response initially. I mean, I think people yeah. were excited. I mean, I saw people sharing it on social media. Some people yeah. were questioning like, hey, who's behind this? And then finding out that it was Alicia and then like another round of excitement. <laughs> and as with most of the billboards, they're fairly enigmatic, um, which I think is part of the power and the challenge, you know, because they don't present a tremendous amount of context. You can go to the website and find out about the artist. You know, there's just right. a simple link to the artist and thus context. But, you know, not a lot being said to me, just like right. kind of most of the other billboards. And then until... Sometime in early April, when I essentially received a one-line email that said from the landlord saying, uh, there are community complaints about the current text on the billboard. Take it down immediately, period. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what's that right. mean? That's okay. pretty damn open and broad. And so yeah. I shared that with Alicia and then immediately contacted the landlord's management company. And they, I said, who is complaining? You know, we'd be curious to know. And they said, well, we're getting complaints from East Liberty Development Corporation, which is a local community development corporation that theoretically is there to oversee the interests of the community as development happens economically and uh, in the neighborhood. And, you know, that's a larger debatable subject. Right. And their email said, you know, we find the current text to be tone deaf and ambiguous. And this is coming from some board members of theirs. And would you consider taking it down earlier? It'd been obvious that they had spoken to the landlord and made this request. And then later in the same day, I received an email from Anthony Dolan, who's a local developer who's developed several properties. It was a complicated email. It was, you know, he had CC'd the mayor and the city councilman and, and was equating Alicia's billboard in relationship to, um, some anti-Semitic uh, posters, poster which that, actually weren't anti-Semitic, but the right. posters that were against another developer in the neighborhood right. and strongly worded posters, but they, there was no, yeah, but there's no connection to, I, we, we had a hard time, like understanding what the connection of that was to the billboard. Yeah. And he literally said though, in his email that this billboard, um, makes it us against them. Makes it, it right? creates, right. It perpetuates what these posters that he had been seeing mm. about this other developer right. that he didn't like. It perpetuates this black versus white, us versus them mentality, mm -hmm. just like a, a kind of whole rhetoric. And obviously he was feeling very defensive mm -hmm. um, about, you know, the criticism he was receiving and that maybe a few other developers receiving about disenfranchising black folks from the neighborhood, um, which is, you know, that's their cross right. to bear if they have to, you know, deal with that. But it had nothing right. to do with, you know, the Alicia's sentence, te the yeah. sentence <laughs> yeah. which is, as my 13-year-old daughter at the time said, 
well, that's just a fact. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, why um, is that even? So it's we, not really ambiguous. It, it wasn't yeah. pretty, pretty it's, afraid. Right. Yeah. And if it was ambiguous, then, and you read it in a certain way, it probably says more about the way in which you're reading it. Right. And that, to me, mm-hmm. is part of the beauty of the, of the text, right. is that it is, is, is both very specific and very open simultaneously. So what happened was Alicia and I decided, hey, here's an op- opportunity. Mm-hmm. Let's put together a little text. Right. Some background information on the work. And even we were open having community meetings or having some sort of artists Mm -hmm. talk about the work and, you know, trying to like support these questions or confusion or discomfort. Mm -hmm. Right. And we we went back to landlord and we said, this doesn't have to go this way. This doesn't have to be taken down. There's a this could be a positive thing. It can start a conversation. Right. Really gave them an out. Mm-hmm. And they came back with, no, take it down. Now. <laughs> um, and there's more details around that, but yeah. that's essentially that's what it was. And so right. there was a kind of legal loophole that they used in the lease, you know, like nine years ago when I signed the lease, the landlord, well, there's two things that they cited. One is totally off base, which was a uh, something in the lease that said, well, I'm not allowed to have offensive political or sexual speech on right. the billboard, which this is none, none of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she tried to claim that as one of the reasons it had to be taken down immediately. And lawyers I consulted said, no, that's not the case. The second one was that there was a clause that allowed the landlord to have a say over what went up. And frankly, in the nine years I've had the billboard, I asked the very first time for the very first billboard, like, hey, is it okay if I put this up? And then for, you know, nine nine more years, (laughs) never asked, never questioned. So she pulled that clause, took it down. And I think kind of imagined that Alicia and I were just going to go away. Right. That would be it. Oops. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the opposite happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested to talk more about the sort of fallout and like response. There's been a huge social media um, outpouring, which we can talk about, which is still happening. I still see things in my feed regularly. But there was a, a conversation that happened at Kelly Strayhorn Theater hosted by Janera Solomon. That was sort of like an opportunity for the community to give feedback and talk, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the things that happened there and got brought up there? One thing that I had thought about while this was happening, right, like even when I'm writing my response, was thinking that I never grew up in East Liberty, you know, I wasn't displaced there. And even though I was born and raised here, I was gone for a long period of time. And I just like didn't want to speak for anyone, period. I didn't want to speak for anyone. And I I wanted people to understand like where I was coming from and what the work was about and what that text, the sentence meant to me. And I wanted them to have all the information and that's really mm-hmm. why we had the community meeting at KST, because other community meetings were happening and protests and different things. And and people had asked me, you know, like wanting to protest this sign being taken down. And when community leaders would contact me, I'm like, this is just a sentence. Like you're protesting what happened to groups of people in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And this is a catalyst and make signs like I'll go to air. I'll print signs for you. I want to make sure that this is about like the real issues of what happened in East Liberty and like, how can this work be as supportive as possible and not just the spectacle. About what happened to an artwork versus what happened to the people who were Right. You know, so like there is like a thing about censorship, of course, that I'm against, but then really it's like, how can this support people to have like a platform to say what happened to them or, you know, so we had that community meeting 
And there, you know, we just gave information about the last billboard and about my work and then opened the floor for questions or people to talk about. And it seemed like people really just needed to be heard and needed to talk about how they felt about that East Liberty being one of the only places where they felt welcomed and good and like Mm. creative and supported and, you know, in such a quick time Mm. That's not the case. Now they're outsiders, like, and it's not their community anymore. And, you know, Mm -hmm. those things, people were talking about that and also feeling very connected to what happened to the sign, like almost like exactly like they felt like that text. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what I got from the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So in the aftermath of, of that meeting, what are you both thinking now about the future both of there are black people in the future and of the billboard and what is what's next? Maybe you could talk a little bit about the this residency that you've been mm. working on. There are definitely black people in the future. <laughs> so I'll say that. And then there's also like um we're working on a project with the Office of Public Art to put um the artwork in residence. So that text, um, there are black people in the future will be kind of given to certain organizations and community groups to use to kind of bring about that discussion about like, what, how can this support them? How does this represent them? What things can they get from that text? We're going to be offering um, many grants to teaching artists and organizations to incorporate that text into their curriculum. Because once, when the billboard went down, everybody wanted it back up one. Mm-hmm. And John nor myself felt like that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that landlord does not deserve that text. Right. Uh, the neighborhood deserves it, but not that building. And the way that it went down, it's just like trust, like to put your work back into the hands of someone yeah. who treated it the way that they did. So, and everyone's like, well, where can it go? Like, it should be somewhere else. You know, everybody wants that text to be somewhere. But I really also thought, like, as a part of, of this community meeting of, you know, is this a reaction? Let's take some time and really get mm-hmm. to know this text and think about how it represents you or what it should be and, like, have it as, like, a community collaboration and not mm-hmm. just John or I deciding what it's going to be and where it's going to go and, mm-hmm. you know, like, not to be reactionary. I really think it's important for people to have this time. Time's almost a privilege, right, to decide what you want. Mm-hmm. So there will be a call soon, the beginning of the year, for teaching artists to take this work and use it. And then we'll have some workshops and some um, meetings around the text and around some of the issues that the text brings up. There's a lovely way in which there's a nice symmetry with how it started and how it's now it's taken this new life with mm-hmm. students and, um, right. and, you know, in community. So that's, yeah, that's really nice. I mean, I just did a little art, residency at Hope Academy. Becca Zalem Guni with the Black Unicorn Library mm-hmm. curated three artists to come and like kind of work around social justice. And so I was the first artist and it was so much fun to talk about this work with kids. And so basically they have from three-year-olds to high school um, have like dance classes and music classes there. And so they have like a big open space where the parents wait and the kids wait to like go to their classes at certain times. And hang out. And so we just activated that space and had parents making work and the kids making work and like talking about the work and what it meant in that neighborhood. And 
And it was pretty amazing. And so just thinking about that being replicated and, you know, it opened up a conversation for parents to talk about raising their kids with anti-racist values, talk about like what the kind of history of the neighborhood, these new stakeholders, this new generation of people who are going to exist in this neighborhood and how we can kind of have this conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And it was just really beautiful. Yeah. So... So I'm excited for this. Yeah. Really excited. Yeah. So it's it's continuing to have life and generate conversation and generate exchange, which yeah. is yeah, which is really great. What about I'm curious to know mm-hmm. about will there be was that the last last billboard? <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely the last last billboard in that location. I mean, my sentiment is exactly the same as Alicia's. That landlord doesn't get to have this. Yeah. You know, Alicia obviously can say whether she gets to have that text, but I'm getting to say whether she gets to have this project. Right. Um, and, and it's also just a matter of trust. I really, you know, as an artist, you know, you've got such limited capacity to speak in the world. And when you do, you have to use every element of leverage um, to make the statements resonate in ways you wish them to be. Mm. And when you come up against institutions or individuals that are trying to, who hold a lot of power, mm-hmm. who are trying to exert that, sort of behind the scenes to manipulate the small moment of agency you have in the world or that you give to others in the world, then you really, you know, you have to shift that leverage point. And I think that's what we were capable or hoping to do here. You know, we don't want the, you know, Leisha's text or its place on the last billboard to just be defined by that Mm -hmm. particular moment in time where it was taken down by, you know, kind of, to my mind, racist forces. We want to see how, you know, it's about the future. It's about speculation. And as I think Alicia really generously stated right after this happened, this text is open for anyone to use. And the way in which an artwork can kind of have an ongoing life force in a community that's not stagnant, um, in a set of political conditions that are in evolution, that's what we're curious about. And trying to slowly with patience and simplicity, (laughs) see how that plays out. So this is kind of the next phase of reshaping the conversation around the text, letting others kind of tell, you know, Alicia and myself, you know, what this text means, could mean, and then kind of going back to maybe a contemplation about what permanence it could have, what when, permanence or temporary what form it right. could take yeah. in the, in the neighborhood or, or elsewhere. elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited to see it continue and to live on and it's an exciting project. And thanks so much for spending some time with me and talk about it. Sure. Thank you. Thanks. Right, thanks.